All right, welcome, guys. Good to see you. I want to thank you very much for your prayers and those cards. They were uh, a very, very encouraging. Uh, nice to know that maybe gone but not forgotten. <laughs> I got a chair here because the doctor has said for a while I need to sit down. I, I don't know if I'm going to do it. Uh, I, I envy Pastor Cord. He is so cool. I, no, I, I, I mean it. He comes out here, puts his phone down, and he knows it's going to go off when it's time to quit. And he don't care. He reach up. He's got his water, pulls his glasses out. He's just so cool. I've always been a walker. When I first preached here, Years and years ago, uh, they didn't tell me that there's just a short little range in here. I used to walk. If the platform was this far, I'd walk the platform. Well, they're in the back doing this. <laughs> so this morning, if I can sit, I will. If I can't, I won't. So don't worry about it. But it's good to be back. Good to see you guys. Uh, online, it's, uh, it's good. Thank you for tuning in. I, y'all have been very faithful and I appreciate it very much. Uh, this is Valentine's Day, isn't it? All right. Did you guys remember? I heard on the radio yesterday that they've renamed Valentine's Day. It's actually Galentine's Day because it's for the ladies. So, I hope you guys uh, scored some points. If you didn't, we'll be praying for you, okay? <laughs> Listen, I do want to share with you something. We had a staff meeting last week. I came over on Tuesday. We had our coming together. Pastor Joe spoke to us and kind of laid out his vision again. And I want you to understand and know what our vision is because it's a vision of Tomoka Church. And, and that's you. That's all of us. We have started, as you know, our fourth service. And in the time that it's been started, we've gained 200 more people on campus. That's 200 more people. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. That's 200 more people that's going to hear the gospel. Pastor Joe's vision is for 5,000 by the end of the year. Now, let me tell you something. Over the years, I have heard people make fun and mock and talk down about goals when you name a number of people. But I want to tell you, 5,000 people represent 5,000 souls and 10,000 destinations. 10,000 because it's either with the Lord for an eternity Arts in hell for with Satan. And so as never lose sight of the fact that that's what it's all about. This book of Mark is about that same thing. So what does that mean for us? Well, I laughingly volunteered to start a second service on Tuesday. <laughs> and they said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so we won't start a second service. But what we can do is simply do what 
Go with Jesus multiplication. One in one equals many. Because there's a lot of one-on-ones out here. And everybody should have one. Praying for God. Who is that one that I'm going to walk with and be a part of their life? And so I want you to pray about that. Uh, someone who is not involved in the body of Christ, someone who doesn't know Christ, don't give up. Make them a daily prayer and bring them here. Because again, our goal by July is for us to be consistently 200 souls sitting in the seats either coming to Christ or growing in Christ. Because, guys, time is short. Jesus can come at any time. All right? I think, hello? Did y'all leave me? Okay. All right. All right. Let's do that. Hey, Pastor Cord, if you were here last week, Pastor Cord did a great job. And, yeah, give him a hand. I found out in this, as we were talking over the phone, my plan had been to be back last week, and the doctor had a different plan. And so I called Cord and, and told him what I wanted to do. I said, you can either wing it, do what you want to do, or he said, no, let's kick off Mark, and I will talk about John Mark. And I, that was what I wanted to do. I hope you understand what a great story John Mark is. He's probably one of the most overlooked writer of Scripture or even character as we call them in Scripture. But I have always loved John Mark. In fact, when I was first saved, my wife was pregnant. Uh, as I shared with you, uh, that child lived 20 minutes and went home to be with the Lord. And... I had come up with a name. I had began to read the Bible, and I went through the book of Peter, and I got to 1 Peter 5, 13. Peter was giving uh, salutations, saying to the church, so-and-so greets you, so-and-so greets you. And he said, and again, I had King James Version, and Marcus, my son. And I remember naming that son that went home to be with the Lord, Marcus. And when my wife delivered a year later, I named him Marcus. Just because that meant so much to me. So I hope you will digest. Mark is a unique book. You won't find any teachings of Jesus in here. Did you know that? No. Rather, you find Jesus constantly doing something, going from place to place. As a chapter begins, he's either going to somewhere or coming back from somewhere, going somewhere else. Healing, touching people's lives. One word is very, uh, is in it consistently. This word or the, the, like words, and that word is immediately. Uh, Mark points out an immediacy in this gospel, an immediacy in what Jesus did. If you have ever sat down and figured out the three and a half years that Jesus lived, and if you looked on a map and followed 
through all gospels going where he went, you would realize that Jesus had more life in three and a half years than most people have in 70 or 80 years. He was constantly, in fact, when they, he was questioned in the temple as a young man, why are you here? He told his mother, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? That's, that's, uh, keep that in the back of your mind when we begin to talk about and you begin to read the book of Mark. You know, I gotta tell you this. This Valentine's Day, and I read a cool Valentine's story. In fact, a, a reporter reported that he had got wind that a 95-year-old lady said she was in love for the fourth time in her life, was engaged and was going to be married. And so he said, I got to go see this lady. So he went and he said, man, I can't believe that you're 95 and yet you're getting married again. She said, yeah, what's wrong with that? He said, well, tell me about your husband's. And she said, well, the first one was a stockbroker. He was very, very wealthy. He actually set me up for life. The man knew how to make money. The second husband was a ringmaster with Barnum and Bailey circuses. And, oh, it was fun to go to the circus every day. Said the third uh, man was a minister of the gospel. My present husband is an undertaker. And the guy said, those guys don't have anything to, um, they're nothing alike. Most people marry somebody that was like the first husband. She, she said, I don't understand it. She said, it's simple. And by now, you know, one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to, all right. Okay, let's get going. In the first, excuse me, <clears throat> the first 15 verses of Mark presents what we call the epilogue. In other words, when you, we, you read those verses, you will know what the entire 16 chapters is going to be about. It's the key. We read in verse 1, the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. That sentence just sets the stage for everything that Mark is going to talk about. In this, we see the human name, Jesus. In this particular version, it doesn't have Jesus Christ, but in other versions, it says Jesus Christ. Jesus is his human name, and Christ is the title, which means Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah, the Christ. And then it ends with the Son of God which talks about his deity. Why is this Messiah going to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords? 
Why is this Messiah going to be the one who reigns over God's kingdom in the future? What gives him that right? And it's because he is son of God. When you go further in verse 2 and 8, we're going to hear about John the Baptist this morning. Good guy. Verses 9 to 11, looking at Jesus' baptism. 12 to 13, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Verses 14 and 15, he, Jesus, begins his ministry. That is the epilogue of the book of Mark. Now, that's not without precedent because when you read the first 18 verses of the book of John, the same thing happens. So remember that when you're reading, look at it. Matthew starts with the genealogy. Luke has the story of his birth and of Mary and all of that. These two writers lay it out and they begin to identify Jesus in ways the other writers did not. Most likely, theologians say that Peter was the source of John Mark's gospel. In other words, here's what we mean by source is this. Peter, John Mark talked to Peter. It was evident that John Mark had a fascinating career. You go on a mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. You then become the protege of the apostle Peter. And so they would talk. And, and some writers say that Mark was the first of the Gospels to be written, and other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, reference John Mark. I don't know, but it could be. He had a great reference point. But the thing that we need to understand is that there was a reason, and that was to show the immediacy, the need of the Gospel of Christ. Let's read the first eight verses, okay? This is the forerunner. Again, I love this. The beginning of the good news. When you read the book of Acts, Luke uses this. He said, when I write to you, O Theophilus, I wanted to share with you all that Jesus began to do. Began to do and the beginning of the good news is there that really should nudge us. Because you see, it's not over. Jesus has not ended things. He'll let us know when it's over. He's going to break the eastern sky. Dead in Christ is going to rise. The church is going to be gone. We're going to have new heavens and new earths. But until that time, we're still working in the beginning of the gospel, going out and t- reaching out to a fallen world, a world that had no way back to Christ other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Son of God. All right, let's go. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, this is a prophecy of Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. <clears throat> A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. That's John's message. And you'll notice when you read, even though it's sketchy and not much there, he never deviated from the message. Prepare 
for the coming of the Lord. So, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather, leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one who is more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That was his consistent message. Now, if you were a pastor of a church today, you probably wouldn't want John to come and preach. Because in the other Gospels, if you will read how he addresses the crowd. You snakes and vipers, who told you to run away? John's message was blunt. Listen, several times I've been in the area where John came out of. You're going to read, I think it is in uh, uh, Luke 180, that John, we, we, John rec- uh, Luke records his birth, the prophecy of him coming, what he would be. He's going to be a forerunner. And in Ver- Luke 180, it said, and he grew and stayed in the wilderness until he began his ministry. Now, this place is on the other side of the Jordan River. In fact, Mike, you got our, you got some pictures up there? I mean, try to show you. This is what this area looks like. And as I look at that picture, it looks better than what it is. I think we got one more. We don't? Okay, that's all right. All right, in here are caves. And you can go there today. You see these hills. You see a wasteland that's just inhospitable. It doesn't say come and stay here. When you go there, you go look at the Jordan River, and you're ready to go because it's not an inviting place. And there are caves. And I can remember the first time I was there, I stood there, and I thought about Wow, wouldn't it be cool to see John come out of one of those caves and begin to preach the gospel? His message was one of a forerunner, a preparer. Now, when people heard about John and being this forerunner, they would understand his job. Because in that day and time, whenever a monarch was going from one place to another, they would send out a work crew. That monarch would not want to walk through that wilderness because there's potholes, there's up and down, there's crookedness, there's trash, there's all kind of things there. And he would send out his crew in order to make straight the paths, to clean up the trash and get that road ready for him to go from one place to another. That is the role of of the forerunner, John the Baptist. 
they had prayed for a Messiah. They had looked for a Messiah. And you remember that from the time Malachi prophesied to the coming of Christ was over 450 years. God was silent. He said nothing. And then all of a sudden to a ragtag group of shepherds in a field, the angels appeared, the heavens both opened, and the, the message, Messiah has come. He came as a babe and a manager. His cousin, John the Baptist, had already been born. His cousin prepared. Now, I believe that John spent his time in the wilderness with God. I mean, there was nowhere to go. Why did he eat locusts and wild honey? There wasn't any McDonald's. There wasn't any restaurants. Nobody was cooking food there. He lived off of the land. But I, I, I just can't help but think that as he was growing, not only was he growing physically, he was growing in an acquaintance with God. Because when John hit the scene, he held nothing back. He was not afraid of kings. He was, he, he, he made no allowance for anyone. Because the need for repentance of sin was there. You know, I, I listen to, to preachers all the time. Because if a good message is ever preached, I'll preach it. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what happens. I like to hear it. But you know what's missing from, from the messages that we're hearing today across the line? Is repentance. Nobody wants to say, you need to repent. Because, see, that turns people off. That tells people who have heard the, the news on radio and television that they are perfect and everything that goes on in this world is about them. When in the reality, John had a singular message, Jesus Christ. And that was all he preached. Jesus Christ, and because he's come, there's a need to repent. As I was reading and preparing for this message, a thought came to me. We're forerunners. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I don't talk, I'm not talking about telling people Jesus is going to come. He's already come. But you see, there's one more coming. And the message today is that we need to repent and receive salvation because Christ is coming again. And when he comes, it will not be a babe in a manger. It will not be uh, like he came and grew up and would actually just disappeared until he was 30 years old. No, he's going to come. And the Bible records every eye is going to see them. And that's when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you see, there seems to be confusion today about what the church is and what is the role of the church, the body of Christ. The church, as I've said many times, is not this building. It's not that sign or this property. 
The body of Christ are you who sit in these pews. Everyone that comes through these doors, you are the body and you are a forerunner. And even in the United States of America, in Ormond Beach, there are people that have never heard the true message of Jesus Christ. And there's only two things that Jesus told the church to do when he left. He didn't leave a long laundry list and say, now boys, here's what I, all I want you to do. And it was just be so exhaustive, you would give up and say, I can't do that. No, here's the only two things he said. We are to be Christ's witnesses and we are to be a disciple who makes disciples. See, just being a disciple is not enough. Because you really can't be a disciple if you're not making a disciple. Do you realize that? A disciple is a disciple maker. A disciple not only follows Christ, follows the teacher, but he calls others around him and begins to walk with them. You see, Jesus cannot, cannot in reality walk physically with you and I today. His spirit indwells us. And there are people who don't have that spirit. There are people who don't realize that Jesus now is this spirit of God that indwells us. And there are people that need somebody to be there and to be an encouragement. Have you ever needed encouragement? What happened to you when you failed? Did you have a Barnabas come into your life and say to you, it's not over? That's not the end of your story. You stand up on your own feet. God will empower you and you move on. Did you have someone like that? My question is, are you someone like that? Because folks, I don't know if you have checked the temperature of this world, but there are people who are living in agony and depression. Even though they've got smiles Nice cars, money, they have everything that would say everything's cool. There are people who are depressed. There are people who are worried. There are people that are, uh, are on constantly medication to just give them hope to get up and go through life. That was, is the role that Jesus gave the church. Because you see, we have the one cure for everything. Jesus. Let me explain it to you this way. Have you ever wondered why the Bible was written in stories? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, it's a Genesis to Revelation. Stories. Chapter after chapter, right? Guess what? You know how we learn? Stories. We don't learn just by reading information. Uh, we, we have a story, and that's what shapes our perceptions. The story that we have within us gives us hope. The stories that are within us help us with our expectations. It's the story that we have. And in this world right now, there are hundreds and thousands of stories but they're depressing because they don't last. Nothing lasts. Have you noticed that? It seems like right now you buy a new car. 
that cost you a hundred times more than what your first house cost you. And it's guaranteed that you'll need another one in at least two years. Why? Because that's how the automobile business makes a living. I mean, when you make something that lasts for a lifetime, you run yourself out of business. Everything is made to break so that you will build it again. And we have these great expectations. Listen, if your story is anything other than Jesus, then your expectations, your hope, everything in your life will crash and burn. It's the story of Jesus. You say, that's crazy. I can't talk, walk around talking about Jesus all the time. Well, you don't have to be crazy about it, but I'll tell you this. I can tell you from the pulpit this morning, over uh, as people listen to me, I don't attribute any of my healing to me. That's just a fact. All this being ahead of schedule and all that, that's the hand of God. That's our story. And every one of you have a story about Jesus in your life. Because every one of you have faced disappointments. You faced failures. You have had things that you hoped in and they simply disappeared. And if it were not for Jesus, you would give up. So I say today, the greatest story ever told is still the greatest story of our lives as we equate that. You see, we are living in a society when people are begging for someone to help them. You know, the balloons that have been going over. Uh, nobody knew where they came from and they got jets shooting them down and just talking with people this last week. You know, there are people that's worried. Do they think that, Pastor, do you think they're watching us? I said, do you have a phone? They said, yeah. They're watching you. You got a little switch. That if that switch is turned on, I used to get in my my uh, Jeep and it would say, good morning. You're 22 minutes from Community Baptist Church. And I'm thinking, how did he know that? And I noticed everywhere I was going, they'd tell me, when I would get there. So I found, got a hold of Jerry. Jerry knew where that button was and we got that button turned off. But you see, people are worried. No doubt maybe you are. We can't put our hope in anything in this world. And John specifically was called, he was born in order to share with people that Jesus is the message. We were born again for one specific reason. We are to say, tell our story. Jesus is the reason for living. Jesus is the hope that gets us through. Listen, you're going to have tragedies. You're going to have heartache. You're going to have sicknesses. You're going to have everything else that happens in this world. But it is not a stopping place. And the great sin of the body of Christ is we keep secret the one thing people are begging for. Hope. Hope. 
Not hope in a bottle. Not hope in the hope in something that is both steadfast and sure. And that is Jesus. And that he, yes, give it, give him a hand. I want you to know three things this morning. I realize I held up four fingers. I just wanted to see who, who noticed it. Three things you need to write down. Number one, Jesus is absolute Lord. He's sovereign. Your worry, your fear, It's not going to change anything. Your anger is not going to change anything. God is a God that whether you can wrap your head around this or not, that doesn't matter. I had people say, I just can't understand that, so I can't believe. No, that's the issue. You just simply believe because God said it. And then That sets in motion a strength within you that will strengthen your belief. I don't understand this, but he is involved to the very millisecond of everything that's going on in this world. Everything. And nothing happens without his approval. That's just the way it is. And the reason it's that way, he is God. He created the heavens and earth. He can do what he wants to do. And the Bible says everything he does pleases him. Therefore, it's good. God is absolutely sovereign. Let me tell you, your heart's beating right now. My heart's beating because Jesus is the rhythm. We don't fall off. You know, you hear these booger stores. If the earth moves a millisecond over here, we will burn up. If it goes here, it'll freeze. And if it goes further over, we'll just spend. All those, those are fairy tales. The Bible's already told me how the world's going to end, so I don't have to worry about it. And none of those things are going to happen. You see, the story of the world to scare you is if. If, what if this happens? We just came out of a period of two years where people came out depressed and afraid to hope. Some people still hiding in their homes. And now you know what the world story is? What if? Let me tell you the Christian answer to that. What if? Who cares? I mean, yeah, I don't want to be, I didn't want to have that. What happened to me happened to me. But you know, it's like this. I knew one or two things when I came, when I opened my eyes and looked around the room and saw people standing there, some of my pastors from here, I figured one or two things. I was alive or all dead in heaven. (laughs) I mean, really, that went through my mind. And you see, you have to develop a Christian view a biblical view. Pastor Court has talked about that. Because what if, what if the guy that makes the ifs comes true is Jesus. And so no matter what if is going to be right, it's going to be good. And he's already said all things 
work together for good to those who love the Lord God and are called to his purpose. Church promises have been given. And it's time. It's time we begin to stand on those promises and live those promises. Second thing I want you to know is the church is the center stage and not the world. Oh, man, we have messed up. History will show this. I'm going to give you a history lesson. When Apostle Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, book of Philippians, was full of telling the church, you're strong in the Lord. You're overcomers. I mean, all kind of things like that. What was going on when Paul was writing? The Roman Empire was in power. And the story of the world was not the church. The story of the world for about 200 years was the Roman Empire. More powerful. Overcame everything. And yet, after 200 years, it was gone. It was gone because if you remember in the book of Daniel, God showed Daniel, here, this kingdom, this kingdom, this kingdom, and this kingdom, and they've all gone away. After the Roman Empire, do you know this? Genghis Khan actually ruled over a larger area than the Roman Empire. But Genghis is gone. And here we are in 2023. Every great power that was invincible, every great power that was here for a lifetime is gone and the body of Christ is still here. The message of Jesus Christ is the story. And the church, the body of Christ, we're the story, not the world. Finally, Christ has and is and always will be the final word. I want to encourage you this morning. Even as when I came to Christ early years as a pastor, I preached the promises of God. I preached the full counsel of God. And when something happened to me, I'd crumble. And one day, God put me in a corner. And basically, it was a very short message. If you don't believe what I've said, shut up. That was a message. If you don't believe it, shut up. Oh, I've had times that I've waffled. I'm not perfect. For the most part in my life, I have realized this, and I want you to realize it. You don't have a life. You don't. We talk about my life is this. I want my life to be. We don't have a life. We've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And the life that we have, that we live in this flesh, was a gift of God. He said he would direct it. He would strengthen it. He would grow it. But it's his. 
And we answer to him. And we don't believe the stories of the world. We believe the story of Jesus. And God's redemptive purpose from the time of the fall in the garden, even until Jesus comes back. Folks, if we simply stood on the truth, you don't have to protest. You don't have to be hateful. You don't have to be mean. But in full humility, weep over the cause of people's lives being destroyed. But share with them, there is one hope. The story that has outlasted every kingdom that has ever come along. And it was announced by kind of a boogery looking guy with a weird diet. But his message was true. Prepare your way for the Lord. He's coming. And with him is salvation. With him is the hope of the world. Will you begin to go out and share that hope? Telling people the hope you have within you. How did you go through these issues? I know that my God is sovereign. Isn't that great? Sovereign. Let's reach our communities. Let's reach the world for Jesus Christ. Let's begin it today. Fathers, we come to you right now. Forgive me for the times in my life I've waffled. Maybe I haven't said anything. I've just been afraid and allowed myself to be caught up in fear over a situation I didn't understand. God, you're sovereign. Remind me of that every day of my life. Remind your people. These are, these are people who have overcome, overcome life, overcome stories. God, they still love you. Revitalize. Give them the, the realization that when it's time to quit, you take us home. But until that time, where we are with what we have, we tell the story of Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.